sports science, strength conditioning, high performance coaching. Welcome to the Decoding Excellence Show. Hey everybody, I'm going to pause the show real quick and announce something brand new to the Decoding Excellence show. We've created an online community that has exclusive content that you will not be able to get just by navigating to the site alone. If you subscribe today, you will have access to our private podcast, our online video lecture series, brand new digital content that we are creating to help support you as a strength and conditioning coach, a new practitioner in the high performance field. You do not want to miss this material. It's going to help you in every facet of your career. Head over to adamringler.com and join the insiders today. Hey, everybody. We have a great episode of the Decoding Excellence show for you today. In this show, I'm talking about collegiate basketball and wearable technologies and workload monitoring. We're going to get into how we utilize the Connexon Sports system, what metrics I look at, how do we construct a training week, a practice, how do we consolidate loading schemes so that high days are high, low days are low, how do we classify different drills to better understand maybe the dynamics, the intensities, the uh, accumulated acceleration load per minute of each drill to be able to orient those drills in a way to reach forecasted acceleration loads for our training. If you are interested in the utilization of wearable technologies and workload monitoring done on the hardwood, this is the episode that you want to listen to. I dive deep into individual metrics, into wearable technologies, into the utilization of this wearable tech and what types of information it gives us, what performance intelligence gives us, what are we communicating, what are we visualizing, what are we sharing across our coaching staff to allow our student athletes to be the very best versions of themselves. So without further ado, let's dive in to this episode. Hey everybody, welcome to this Decoding Excellence show. As always, I'm your host, Adam Ringler. And if you are tuning in for the first time, welcome to the show. This is an exploration of sports science, strength conditioning, high performance sport. And if you are a return listener, then welcome back. This episode's a fun one. This is one where I get into everything wearable technology, workload monitoring in relation to collegiate basketball. So without further ado, let's talk about what we're doing. There's a lot of different technologies out there. Stat Sports, BX, Catapult Sports, Connexon Sports. I'm going to be discussing the relationship of workload monitoring in association with utilization of Connexon Sports. So the, the metric names might be different. I might be calling it accumulated acceleration load. You might call it player load, right? So just recognize that the concepts uh, still apply despite the different nuanced uh, metric items that we might be discussing. But let's start off with the generalities of what we're trying to accomplish with workload monitoring. Let's, uh, let's, let's defeat some of the common misnomers and misconceptions about workload monitoring. Number one, we're not trying to do less. Absolutely not. We are definitely not trying to do less on the hardwood. In fact, we're trying to do more high intensity, high effort bouts on the hardwood, baseline to baseline, sideline to sideline. That is number one. We're not trying to be restrictive. We're trying to actually maximize our performance. We're trying to get more out of the time that we spend on the basketball court, not less. 
I think sometimes when we when we discuss workload monitoring, the outside perspective is that we're trying to do less. We're trying to be restrictive. We're trying to bubble wrap our players. Matter of fact, we're trying to maximize their performance. We're trying to set them up for success so that when their two feet cross over the baseline, they're ready to perform at the very best levels. And some of that is just the organization, the construct of the physiological responses, the adaptations, but also the stress response, fatigue, readiness, those aspects to how our individual athletes that compose the team respond to the training loads on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. We're not trying to do less. Matter of fact, we're trying to do more. Now, we use data to be able to inform our coaching staff, our head coaches, our positional coaches, our technical tactical skill coaches, our strength conditioning professionals, the response or the sort of the total amount of effort and acceleration loads and mechanical loads with uh, with a combination of internal load monitoring, the cost of doing business, right? What did we get out of those loads? What did it cost the cardiovascular system uh, when our student athletes would go out and hit the hardwood? Wanted to lead off with that. So transitioning, the second thing I wanted to say is that while we use a lot of different combination metrics and algorithms and calculations, it doesn't have to be overly complex. Whether you want to use acute chronic workload ratios, if you believe in that, if you believe the science of debunked that, thanks to the, you know recent research, uh, that's totally up to you. Exponentially weighted moving averages, totally up to you. These are all just tools. These are all just models. Every model is, uh, is slightly flawed, but not always necessarily the reality in which we live in. The use of wearable technologies when it comes to basketball, I think has a vast upside. Let's just begin with, we need to better understand what is actually happening between the lines on the basketball court, the frequency, the density, the total amount of efforts, the accelerations, the decelerations, the change of directions or orientations, the amount of load that an athlete is accumulating because of Z-axis jump load both accelerations, right? So that concentric efforts, but also the eccentric loading aspects of it, that can all be defined and captured through the use of accelerometry. Um, the IMU units, particularly when we think of indoor court-based sports, whether you're utilizing ultra-wideband anchoring systems, an LPS system, or if you're using just accelerometry, we can pull out those metrics to first start to understand the physiological aspects of the game of basketball. And I think when we do that, we can really get into some novel aspects of workload monitoring when it comes to basketball. When we start to look at sport, when we look at the game, when we look at practice, and we'll, later this episode, we'll get into the construction of a weekly microcycle, technical, technical periodization. We'll get into that. But when we can just start teasing out aspects of practice, I would say that it is important to understand the total amount of workload that's been done during a session. If we can we can set that aside and say, yes, that's important. So then we can start to better tease out of the group that we're working with, the athletes on the basketball team that we're working with. For that same session, we have to we have to understand that not every athlete is going to produce the same amount of output on the hardwood. We understand that with just positional requirements and, and what we're asking, you know, the differences that we might be asking out of our point guards, our wings, our our forwards, our centers, right? There's different positional requirements that is necessary 
to be great at their position, to be great at their sport, to do what they need to do in a very unique skill set. That alone, even though we have allocated, let's just say, two hours, you will easily see positional differences amongst your team. Right? Point guards might have higher workloads or lower workloads. Wings run into the corners. Sprinting to the corners might have different workloads. How are you know, our forwards... Our, our post players, right? How they're battling down low might have different accelerometry loads, workloads. We can understand that. In that same group, based on the style of play, maybe the reps that each athlete got during different particular drills or during live play, again, the accumulated acceleration load or player load might be different even within the same position group. Say athlete one sprinted to the corner, athlete B took two, three hard steps towards the corner and then started to decelerate into the corner, athlete three jogged to the corner, athlete four walked to the corner. You can start to see how, again, within that same position group, same amount of reps, same amount of sets, same amount of opportunities, the total accumulated acceleration load or player load might be very different. In addition to that, if we were to move on and look at a more granular level across those three examples or four examples I just gave, right, the advantage of having essentially workload monitoring, a wearable technology, is that now we can tease out, even if they did have four different player loads or accumulated acceleration loads, we can start to tease out of those four examples, was there a low velocity load, right? Did the athlete that sort of walked into the corner, let's just say, they would have a, even if if they were, right? Let's just say the, the load was normalized. It was the same. Their player load or accumulated acceleration load would be a higher proportion of a very low acceleration or low velocity, where maybe the athlete that jogged to it would have a little bit of a, a greater speed threshold or speed bands, depending on how many speed bands you have in the Connexon system or in the catapult sports sort of open field system, or maybe stat sports as well, how you establish those speed bands and speed thresholds, you could see that the athlete that maybe jogged would have more medium load or the athlete that took two to three hard acceleration steps might touch some of that high category three acceleration load and then would drift back down to medium or low. The athlete that just sprinted hard acceleration steps, let's say from half court, sprinted into the corner, gave it everything that he or she got, they might actually touch that sort of red high speed threshold band and get some of that very high acceleration load. Even normalized across that example, you could start to see where the advantages would be based on the different speed bands or acceleration bands or player load bands that you've established in your system. So there's an advantage of, uh, of being able to tease out, let's say normalized across, everybody had the same amount of workload, which never happens because of positional requirements and just types of play, style of play. But let's just say for this sort of mental model that we're talking through, if everybody had the same amount of accumulated acceleration load, how the proportion of how they accumulated or reached that total load might be very different because of the positions. Some might have more low load, some might have very high load, and all of that affects physiology and affects the muscular skeletal system and affects fatigue differently. So there becomes this importance of being able to monitor the proportionality of high-speed running high velocity, high acceleration loads in relationship to low loads or maybe in relationship to the total accumulated acceleration load.
So that becomes an advantage and a metric that we need to pay attention to. Staying on sort of the individual metrics, we want to just kind of go down this rabbit hole. Is there a lot of value of measuring total distance ran uh, during a session? Some do, right? Maybe on the um, soccer pitch or lacrosse field, on the football field, perhaps. On basketball, we sort of, we have a smaller constraint and competitive environment of the uh, 94 by 50 foot court that we exist on, that we play on, that we compete on. So distance doesn't necessarily tell the full and complete picture or story. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it could be valuable for some people, but for us, that's just not a metric that I find a lot of importance on c communicating and reporting. A speed, right, again, we, when we're talking about 94 feet to reach maximal velocity, can you do it? You might, although again, you're gonna be running off the opposite opposing baseline. By the time you reach half court, you're essentially trying to decelerate at that point so that you stay within the competitive environment and, and sort of field. Max velocity is, is again, an, another metric that's not overly important. You know, again, the, the game is the metric, right? How successful are you at the game? Can we capture those velocities and those speeds within little micro fragments of the game to, to be illustrative of reaching top end speed or, you know, top end speed between the lines and being able to use that to dictate kind of how we're doing and what we're doing on the court. Accumulated acceleration load, we talked about that at the beginning of the show. That's a very important metric. But then it hides a little bit. It's like total player load. It hides how you actually created that total load. So if I say, hey, coach, today was a, a, a thousand unit accumulated acceleration load or player load practice. But how did we get to those thousands? Was it 500 of low load? Was it, you know, 250 of, of medium load? Was it only 200 of, you know, high load? Was it, you know, so again, just talking through that, how we actually tease out, was it very high? Was it high? What speed zones were we in? How did we accumulate those loads? Is, is mad. That, that matters, right? That really, really matters. Exertions or, you know, high velocity changes of directions or accelerations or decelerations. This would be kind of like in catapult. This would be like your IMA type of bouts or, or efforts. How many exertions did we have at practice, right? That can be a telling metric to say how exertionally challenging, how quick were we, how many bursts did we have, how many high velocity type of plays did we did we have out of this position group out of this athlete out of out of a team during this session one of the the things i, I like in the connexon sports system is just this anaerobic activity time this would be like time or distance or load within essentially a high speed running zone hsr right so that's another very valuable metric so again now we can start to say okay today was an a thousand load arbitrary load accumulated acceleration load practice, but of that 400 units of load was within this anaerobic activity time. That would essentially be 400 was composed of high speed running and the other 600 units were, you know, low or medium type of loads that have less stress, less fatiguing elements, less cost of the student athletes body, ligaments, tendons, and musculoskeletal system. Those are just some of the few metrics I think is important. But then what, we, what, what can we do with it, right? Why would we even want to, to begin to monitor and measure, you know, those types of accumulated acceleration loads, the breakout, low, medium, high, very high? Uh, why would we want to measure this? And that is where it comes into load monitoring and sort of not just being descriptive and saying this is what we've done today and you know and the conversation ends there but 
trying to be predictive, trying to forecast, trying to create a calendar, a structure around preseason training camp, around our game schedule, around non-conference to be able to better position the athlete's performance so that they can be successful. So that is way where we lean on, okay, we can look at and generate some reports to look at that accumulated acceleration load across the last 30 practices. Where are we at? Are we peaking? Do we have high days and low days? Very Charlie Francis. Are we trying to not have the most monotony across our training sessions? Are we trying to balance you know, what we do and sort of consolidate our loading structure so that hard days are hard across the weight room, across the athletic training room, across the practice fields versus you know, our low days where we can sort of consolidate those low days and have more of maybe a dynamic effort day in the weight room, a little bit easier, more technical uh, session on the hardwood, more film, sort of more one-on-one individual work with our position coaches where we're getting firing off shots and working on our, our game in that aspect. Can we construct a training week to do that so that we're getting the exact elements of what we want out of the student athletes from a skill development standpoint? from a technical development standpoint? Do we have elements in our practice structure to enhance the tactical aspects, the game schematics of what we're trying to implement offensively, defensively? Do we have aspects of the training week and practice week where we're getting up and down and we're stretching out the court lengthwise so that we're playing more baseline to baseline and reaching velocities and we're reaching more higher velocity acceleration loads and decels and having aspects of the game to elicit the fitness qualities that we want and the conditioning aspect of 5v5, up and down the core, live play. Do we have aspects of the game where we're working more laterally, sideline to sideline, defensively, working on our angles, our stance work, and really working and challenging the muscular system more laterally in, in that area? So we're working more defensively. We're working in the positions that the game is going to require out of us. And that might be more half-court play where we're kind of getting into that and working on stance and working on developing the robustness of those structures. We can utilize technology. We can utilize wearables and workload monitoring to ensure that we're hitting those metrics. So when we're going through a preseason training camp and we can look past, look at, you know, over the past 12 months, last 18 months, last two years of wearables and that workloads of saying last preseason, we ramped up or we loaded in this fashion. And let's just say arbitrarily, just as an example, our average loads were a thousand units and we're coming into early preseason training camp and we're touching 400s or 500s. What do we need to do over the next four to five weeks to build workloads to have a tolerance or a robustness for the thousand load practices that we will face. So it's building a scaffolding. It's, it's establishing a plan of saying in week one, we need to try to grow comfortable in you know, accumulating 500 loads of uh, uh, units of load, arbitrary units of load for this training practice. And then in week two on average, we need to be comfortable at 650 or 700 units of load. Week three, we need to get comfortable at 800 units of load. And then week four or five, we're starting to get into touching 900 or 1,000 and then systematically deploying you know, days off and our, our low days to be able to allow for them to rebound, recoup, refresh, and regenerate. So that is 
where we can be a little bit more forward-focusing, more predictive, more forecasting aspects of saying we need to hit these targets so that we can comfortably build our robustness, our fitness, our chronic loading in that sort of banister model, fitness versus fatigue, Gabbett model of acute to chronic, and slowly and systematically build our workloads to reach a particular zone where we are comfortable and we've grown robust to those training loads. Whether or not you want to do and use accumulated acceleration load or player load, that total composite sort of um, aggregate of all of those sort of load breakouts, maybe you wanted to use just high-speed running loads. Maybe you wanted to use just exertions or IMAs, right? And that's a conversation that you need to have with your position coach, your head coach, your medical staff, as far as what, what metrics are most telling or most valuable. But just speaking off of, you know, like my experience of working with wearable technologies and workload monitoring and how we've utilized it and the report generation aspects of it, there's a number of different things that we generate from a reporting construct. I'm always going to, from top to bottom, left to right, create a stacked column chart or a stacked bar chart with the total amount of player load or accumulated acceleration load and chopping that up into how they've accumulated and that the, the composites of what, what makes up that total load. So that way, very easily a coach can see that of you know two similar high load athletes, let's just say two athletes that might have gotten a thousand loads, just the composite of, of athlete A did 50% low load, athlete B only did 20% of low load, but actually for the other 80% of that 1,000 unit load, did it in a medium high or very high uh, speed band, right? And that's a very telling metric because you can start to say, wow, you know, I have one athlete that might have gotten 1,000 load and another athlete that only did 600 load, but the 600 load athlete actually did it all of which in that high and very high speed band, that's going to have a very different effect despite the fact that the total amount of load is 400 arbitrary units difference from that first example to the second, that 1,000 arbitrary load athlete to the 600, how the athlete produce that 600 units of load is going to be dramatically a different fatiguing effect than the athlete that did the 1,000-unit load at a, at a lower speed band. That's a very important metric to know. I also like, don't get me wrong, the best type of pie charts are the, the pie that you can eat, blueberry pie, apple pie, cherry pie, I don't know what, pecan. What's the best, if you're, if you're listening to this show right now, you're not much of a pie guy, what's the best pie out there? I want to hear it. So drop it into uh, Twitter, Instagram, or however uh, you're listening to this podcast right now. I'm going to go on the record and say pecan pie is the best pie in the world. There, that's my hot take. But nonetheless, accumulated acceleration load pie chart. So again, of the two hours, what is our ratios of accumulated acceleration load or player load, right? And I can say like very easily, I look at of the distribution of our practice, how much of our practice was actually played in the high and very high, right? Is it 25%? Is it 20%? Is it only 10%? Is it 5%? That's all really revealing of the intensities of which practice occurs at. Of that report, right, we have individual player breakouts. We talk about maybe max velocity that they reached in practice, the total amount of player load or accumulated acceleration load that they've reached within practice, how they've created that aggregate scoring. Um, was it low? Was it medium? Was it very high? Was it high? All of those have 
very uh, specific meters per second sort of bands that are associated with that sort of just general classification. The number of exertions or high velocity, high acceleration type of change of directions, excels, decels, the anaerobic activity time, right? So that would be essentially an, an, a proxy of your high-speed running. And then I always include, because we, we do internal load monitoring, just a sort of a spline line chart of our heart rate or average heart rate across practice, because that is a revealing sort of visual of what parts of practice was high exerting from an internal load monitoring standpoint. And we know, right, internal loads typically will follow high velocity type of movements or live play or areas or the density of practices in which there's not a lot of rest periods. So that can be a really revealing sort of visual of the intensity of practice or the exclusion of rest periods and, and challenging the fitness aspects of practice and making sure that we have enough periods throughout our practice schedule where we have, you know, high heart rate, you know, BPMs across the team so that we're working on those fitness qualities. Are we reaching enough periods or loading across our practice to get into that anaerobic threshold or that high intensity, that 80 to 90, 90 and above type of heart rate max in our sessions to build on some of those fitness qualities? So that's something that we generate, we report, we sit down with position coaches, we talk about that for their position across the team. Another thing that we do a lot of is is again, just creating a report. You know, we're fortunate enough to work with a, an athlete management system company called Kitman Labs that allows us to pull in a lot of different data sources, right? We can pull in rate of perceived exertions or RPEs. We can overlay, you know, our Connexon sports data with RPE data, with our first beat internal load monitoring data. So it pulls in a lot of different data sources for us. And we can start to look back and and calculate exponentially weighted moving averages for a different sort of time durations. You know, whether we wanted to do a, a 7 to 28, we wanted to do a, a 3 to 12, we can do those types of calculations and look at, are we loading and ramping and building fitness qualities or chronic loads at a rate that is associated, allegedly, with lower chances and overtraining injury risk ranges. Ultimately, are we loading too fast or are we loading too much too quickly? That's that's the question right there. Now, you could go in and, and bash both of those from and sort of uh, does it predict injury? Does it forecast potential injuries? How would we know if it didn't, if we prevented injuries? Okay, tool, totally cool. You can have that justification. Ultimately, what we're trying to look at across this is saying, are we doing too much, too fast, too soon, too quickly? That's it. And so we use those as a way of just saying, we know that we need to build that chronic load and we need to build the robustness for what our in-season non-conference schedule looks like. And are we fit enough to be able to do that in a way where we can practice and maximize our performance and maximize our skill development on the court? That's the question that we're trying to answer with any of this wearable technologies, with any of the workload monitoring is saying, how do we get our athletes on the court doing the very best work that they can do across the duration of practice that they are out there for? And that's it. Can we, can we get them performing at the highest level? Can we get them to continue to run as fast as we know that they can run from a max velocity? Can we allow them to incrementally increase 
their high and very high acceleration loads across practice by playing harder, by accelerating faster, by jump stopping and decelerating, right? All of those aspects that go into all those wearable technologies and the particular individual metric items that it captures on the IMU device and those tags. Can we get those to continue to increase, but done so in a safe and sound manner? That is something that we've worked quite extensively on building out for our basketball programs here. The distribution of acceleration, accumulated acceleration load, utilizing internal load monitoring in addition to external load monitoring, the external being the performance output of what actually occurred from a muscular skeletal sort of external load on the body, the internal being what you paid for it, i.e. in the cost of your heart rate, that cardiovascular system, the speed velocities, the exertions, the anaerobic activity or high-speed running. And then we just, we take that information and we have to curtail it into what our coaches want, right? And that's going to be very different from program to program, from coach to coach to practitioner to practitioner. There's not a one-size-fits-all to how do you begin to navigate report generation and communication of those results. It's going to be different for each person, right? And each person and each sort of practitioner that you deal with and work with. It's also important, I think, just in the grand picture of things, to go back and look at all of your workloads, right? We talk about the value of you won't know what you know until a year later. Once you begin a system, it's really hard to begin to answer those questions because you don't have any historical data to compare it to. So you're leaning on other programs, you're leaning on subject matter experts to be able to tell you what they think those things mean. However, once you do have several seasons of data, you can go back and look at it and say, this is our average load during preseason training camp. And now you can start to forecast and say, we need to build that scaffolding to get to those averages this next upcoming season. You can combine that with more subjective feedback from your coaching staff. Were we happy with how we've proceeded with our preseason training camp last year? What were some of the aspects that we want to get out of this upcoming year? Do we want to increase here? Do we want to decrease there? So you can combine it with their expertise of saying, we need more, we need to spend more time on doing live play. We need to do, spend more time doing shooting drills. We need to spend more time on defense. And if we do make those decisions, at what cost to the physiological load are we going to have that, that external workload? Will those additions or subtractions account to that total player load or accumulated acceleration load? How is it going to change what we do? It's never about being restrictive. It's never about doing less. It's about understanding that we can combine our RPE load, our injury data, our statistics that we capture within our EMR, electronic medical record system, to better understand if we can load in a proper manner, if we can approach a microcycle or a weekly structure from a technical tactical model, if we can plan out our weeks and we can better understand where our high days are, where our low days are, we can better distribute types of loading during those days so that we can get the very best out of them. So if we know that we wanted to do more defensive work during a weekly structure, and we know that we have two high load days in combination with our NCAA accountable athletic related activities, CARA hour off days that we need to have. 
let's just say, or one now that we're in 20 hours or in the technical in our in-season phase here, how do we distribute those high days? And on those high days, how do we redistribute types of schemes that we might want? It's not saying we need to do less or more of things. It's saying, how do we reorganize, reorient different drills and different themes of the day so that our high days are high, our low days are low, our athletes can be stressed, but they can also have days where they can rest without taking multiple days off where we can say, this is a low load day. It's going to challenge your muscular system very less. It will allow you to maybe recoup, rebound, regenerate a little bit, but we're still getting skill development because we're working on shooting. We're working on film. We're working on more of the scheme of what we need to do. We're installing different looks and different drills and different offensive and defensive looks, right? We're working on that aspect. And on the high days, maybe we're focusing on more high intensity, high sort of accumulated acceleration load per minute or high exertions per minute type of drills and sort of combining that with more live play opportunities, getting up and down, running more coast to coast and getting those high velocities. A different utilization of live play, full court versus small sided games to elicit the physiological outputs and stressors that we want within the practice scheme. I'm not pretending to be an architect of this. I'm just utilizing and communicating what we're capturing with our wearable technologies, our workload monitoring systems that we have, and communicating that to our coaching staffs, to our technical tactical staff, so they can really be the chief architect of practice plans. We'll help and I'll try to give prescriptions or recommendations of where athletes are at based on the, the fatigue sort of monitoring that we have within our force plates, within our hand grip dynamometer that we have, within any of our fatigue monitoring, readiness monitoring technologies, RPEs, things like that. However, it's, it's their loads, it's their practices, it's their program. So I'm just trying to democratize the data of the intelligence of the information that we have and share it across stakeholders so they can take that intelligence and utilize it to make the best practices possible to keep our athletes fresh, to keep them playing at the highest level, to keep them injury-free, and to, to keep them you know in love with the game and to play the very best basketball that they can play. That is a way that we can utilize technologies. That is a way that we can utilize workload monitoring done in a way where it's not restrictive. It's not, I'm pulling so-and-so from practice today because their acute chronic is, is here, or their exponentially weighted moving averages, ACWRs are there, pulling so-and-so because they've reached their threshold of player load this week or this practice. No, 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 no. It's not about that. It's about mitigating those stressors where we can. It's about trying to help the athlete be the best version of themselves by managing their recovery, managing their fueling, managing their fatigue. It's about helping construct a plan at practice so that we can, we can have those sort of undulations of practice loading. We can reorient different drills across the training week to still get the same technical tactical elements of the game, but done so in a way that allows them to be fresh and play fast. And it's about using the game and the practice data in a way where we can refer back to years past data, combine it with other sort of aspects, whether it's shot tracker, any of the sort of technical statistics that we capture at practice and say, are we on the right trajectory to get the very best basketball out of our, our athletes to get them playing fast, to get them playing fresh and playing the best basketball possible. That 
is wearable technologies. That is player load. That is workload monitoring in a nutshell. Hey, everybody, that is going to be it for this episode of the Decoding Excellence show. I hope you took a little bit away from the discussion around uh, connects on sports, workload monitoring, the particular metrics that I think is really important. Maybe the why we want to even begin to uh, monitor performance, monitor workloads on the hardwood uh, in relationship to collegiate basketball. And then maybe some of the nuanced sort of discussion around the particular metric items of importance. Is it high? Is it very high? Is it medium? Is it low? Is it speed bands? Is it exertions? All of those conversations centered around why we want to monitor those metrics, how we do it, and how we utilize that to construct a training week in order to get the very best out of our athletes. As always, there's a number of different ways that you can support the Decoding Excellence show. The newest way you can support is by heading over to adamringler.com and joining the High Performance Insiders. This is an exclusive community that allows you access to the private articles, the private podcast feed, and digital lecture series that's being hosted behind this community wall. Check it out by heading over to adamringler.com and subscribing today. The second way you could support the show is simply by signing up for the newsletter. This is something I take a lot of pride in. I try to go out on the internet, dig up research articles that are fascinating. I try to find the newest technologies, articles I'm reading, uh, research publications, and just really cool things that I discover that sort of exist between performance, science, biology, and technology. I think you'll get a lot of value simply by uh, signing up for the newsletter I promise you, I will never spam you. I will never sell your information or give this out. I cherish this little small community that I'm, I'm creating with this newsletter. The last way you can support the show is simply by heading over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Adam Ringler. Now, the name is a little misleading. You are actually not buying me a coffee. You're buying the show a coffee. It's a micro donation, anywhere from three, four, five dollars. So it's a latte, a cappuccino, at Starbucks, essentially. And you're buying and supporting the show's hosting fees and the ability to deliver great content to your ears weekly. So head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Adam Ringler and buy the Decoding Excellence show a coffee. Buy two coffees, buy five coffees if you're an espresso junkie. So as always, I love you guys. Thanks so much for supporting the show. 